2: Welcome, Nets fans, to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by otgbasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, NBA writer, Nets fan, Jack Manuel. What's cooking, Jack? Mate, I am
1: so happy I stayed up till 3.30 a.m. last night because the Nets had a win. The weekend starts off well, and I'm having pizza for dinner tonight. Nick, it's happy days over here in London.
2: Happy days. Loyalty, Jack. You are loyal up to 3.30 in the morning. Watching the Nets, we could appreciate that. We're going to talk the last two games, a win and a loss, and we're also going to talk about the sad news of D'Angelo Russell getting knee surgery. But let's start with Tuesday's game against Boston.
1: Yeah, we weren't horrible. Um, it just showed that I think the entire game, like, you know, in terms of percentages and, and key statistical areas, we weren't outplayed by, by any stretch. It just showed that the Boston Celtics are just a more talented squad than we are. And we just didn't have the bodies to compete with guys like Kyrie Irving, Marcus Morris, and Al Horford. Um We did not put up a bad showing. And we sort of took that momentum in terms of the way we played into the Jazz game, a real stepping stone.
2: Yeah, like you said, it was a close game, 109-102. The Nets were in it most of the game. I think up until one point in the fourth quarter, there was a Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Ali Oop, which obviously hurts Nets fans because they're only there because of our picks. But like you said, without D'Angelo, it was a good showing. Kyrie and Horford kind of killed them in the pick and roll. Kyrie didn't shoot great. He had the mask, but... You know, it wasn't a bad performance. And I think one thing that stuck out is when you have two players like an Alan Crabbe and a Joe Harris who can just light it up from three, those guys shot 10 and 19 on Tuesday. They can keep you in games against teams that are better than you.
1: Yeah, definitely. We shot better. Those two guys helped us shoot 40% from three um, compared to the Celtics uh, just over 33%. And, you know, we only shot 1% worse from the field overall, 45.3 to 443 So, if you're looking at those statistics as a whole, you're going to say, okay, well, the Nets are certainly in this game. And we were. And like you said, up until those later stages of the game, um, we certainly gave the Boston Celtics a fight. And, you know, they had to earn that win. Sort of like they've been doing quite a bit in their 13, 14-game stretch. You know, I think one thing that stuck out to me, Nick, was the free throws. Um, We got to the line 16 times, but we could only make 10 of them. And, you know, we gave up 27 free throws, and they made 22, 81%. Um, it, that was the difference little, in the game. It is. Those little things. Um, and we mentioned, I've come it was the last podcast or one of the podcasts before, generally get to the line. But when we get there, um, we've been quite poor. And I, I'm not sure what it is. Like, you know, we don't have bad mechanical shooters. We don't have Andre Drummond or DeAndre um, Jordan on our team. Sorry to Andre Drummond. He's actually been going okay. Um, but like, we don't have DeAndre Jordan or Andre Roberson on our team. Um, we've got decent free throw shooters. So whether it's just laziness or just lack of engagement and because those those are easy points and you know they make all the difference you know yeah agree and they have to do a
2: better job not fouling as much i think one problem is the Nets sometimes they get caught up with these stupid fouls they get the other team in the bonus early in the quarter especially in the second half it seems to happen a lot one thing they need to watch out for like you mentioned the free throws were a difference also the bad start i think boston got out to a big lead in this game early you know the nets were kind of I don't even know how to describe it. Just their offense was not running well. Boston was disrupting everything. They couldn't get moving. It just seemed like every possession, next thing you know, was under 10 seconds on the shot clock or somebody was throwing up a bad shot. If they started this game better, they would have been in a lot better shape. And as well, like you said, if they hit their free throws and prevented Boston from getting there 27 times, I think this is a really close game. And I mean, even like you said earlier in the the pod, you know, it's still a positive, even a close loss to Boston like this, a team that's cooking, there's a lot of positives to take away.
1: Yeah. And I think Nick, the fact that another positive to take from it was our passing game was on point. You know, we let, we almost doubled them in assists 26 to 15 and that led to a lot of really great shots from Harris and crab. Levert was really good. Um, Rondé uh, continued his consistency. Um, It was, there was no real bad things to really take away from the game apart from our start. Um, And that's been a point of emphasis from the coaching staff and the players. Our first and our third quarters are where we tend to have lapses and we can't have those lapses. And you can't have those lapses against, right now, the best team in the East
2: because they're going to punish you. Exactly. And one guy who killed the Nets too was uh, Marcus Morris in that fourth quarter. He caught yeah. fire and... It's kind of been a problem for the Nets sometimes is like their scouting is a little bit off or the players aren't studying because there was a few times where he got wide open mid-range shots and that's a shot Morris wants to take. You know, he's always been able to hit those mid-range shots. So I think the Nets need to step up in that. And if somebody gets hot, they need to do a better job of kind of shutting them down because the Celtics were pretty cold in that fourth.
1: Yeah, Holford and Morris combined uh, for 38 points and 21 rebounds. So uh, their front court, as has been the case for us all year, Um, troubled us really badly. And I'm not sure whether having the bodies was an issue, Um, you know. They're just better. And they are. Those those two guys, we had one of them on our team, definitely better squad. We just don't have the talent there. We don't have the depth there. Um, And it it just showed, and it's going to continue to show.
2: Yeah, specifically Horford. He just allows Boston to do so many things, but that's for another podcast series. But let's talk about the Utah Jazz game. Like you said, we carried some of the positives from that game into the Utah game, and we picked up the W, 118-107. A game, like I said to you off-air, almost felt like a blowout because we were in control the whole entire game. And it was a really nice feeling to see, especially after the news about D'Angelo Russell getting knee surgery earlier in the day.
1: Yeah, they mentioned um, the coaches and and even Spencer in his post-game questioning. He mentioned that they wanted to get the win for D'Angelo. It, it just shows that the the environment and the culture that's being built at Brooklyn is one that is really sustainable and really positive. And, you know, that first quarter where we went on a 20-2 run, emblematic of what the Jazz did to us when we were out there in Utah. So we sort of gave him a taste of their own medicine and, and that sort of set the stage for us. So positive starts, Nick. Like we mentioned, the fact that Boston got up to one sort of shut down the game for us earlier. We were always playing catch-up. Um, the fact that we got off to quite a nice run, and even though there were points, um, as we mentioned off there when we're having having a chat, we single digits a couple of times, but the nets were uh, remained remain cool and remained mature and, and comfortable on the floor. The fact that they could you know, get a couple of extra buckets and then always make it out of reach. So it was a nice win, very nice win, and um, certainly worth staying
2: up to the early
1: hours of the morning for.
2: Yeah, like you said, the start to this game, the Nets started at the end of the first quarter, 39-25. You know, you give yourself a nice 14-point lead to start the game. They had one turnover in the first quarter, and that was the highest scoring quarter they had all season. So, and they never really looked back, like you said. They kept the game. The Jazz got in there a single digits a few times. So they are able to, you know, stay on top of them. Amazing game from Spencer Dinwiddie. Career game. He's just been stepping up, getting better. 25 oh. points, 9 of 14 from the field, 6 of 10 from three, eight assists, five rebounds, and zero turnovers. I said zero turnovers. It's it's amazing. Um, and, I
1: mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll chat about him plenty in the rest of the podcast. It, it was just an outstanding game from Spencer Dinwiddie. And, one, as as I was watching the game, it's almost like, man, it'd be great to have D'Angelo there now because the balance that these two guys would have for each other. Like, he's our third-best point guard technically on our roster. Um, and the fact that he is absolutely balling out right now, um, he's going to be getting paid soon and he deserves it. And hopefully he can stick around in Brooklyn. But, you know, I, I remember listening to the broadcast throughout. I think a, a key thing that is has um, increased his game overall is just that shot. Yep. That, like, that pull-up three is just absolutely lights out. And um, upon doing a bit of research, um, we got in uh, Oklahoma City former shooting coach and Kevin Durant's former personal trainer. Um, And those are two guys, two teams, a guy and a team that is, um, you know, great shooters across the board. So they've had a a great influence on the Brooklyn Nets and and especially Spencer. He's just looks like a really well-rounded player right now. He just, the tempo that he set throughout the game, um, the players sort of got on board with that. And it was a real team performance, uh, but Spencer certainly led the way in one of the, one of the best performances of the season from any Nets player.
2: Yeah, for real. Like, and you said it, that three-point shot, obviously having a pull-up three in the NBA nowadays with the pick and roll used so heavily in the Nets, shooting so many threes, um, it's just an amazing asset to have for the team. And like you said, when he does a great job doing the small things. He also does a great job getting the offense moving. You know, pieces moving, passing the ball. He's not uh, selfish. You know, he'll take his shots when he needs to. Sometimes you would almost like him to be more aggressive. I thought there was a few times where in the past where he could have been. But last night, it was like the perfect balance. You know, the 25 points, the eight assists. Obviously, he's not going to shoot like that every night. But what he brings defensively to, he's always fighting through picks and, uh, picks. and it's just great to see from a guy like this who's worked his way up. You know, he was drafted by the Pistons, spent some time in the Bulls G League team. The Nets picked him up last year. Everybody was hating on him because they cut Yogi Ferrell for him, and yep. now look yep. at him.
1: Yeah, first, and there was so many wonderful, you know, historical statistical tweets that I'm sure we can rattle off. I'll, I'll pick up my favorite one. The fact that he became the first player in franchise history to record 25 points or more, over six three-pointers, and eight assists or more with zero turnovers in a game. It's It's the stuff that dreams are made of. And the fact that, again, Nick, we talked about it on a previous podcast. The NBA Twitter account still won't add him. They <laughs> still won't do it, and even he, he said it after the game. And I'm like, come on, put some respect on the name.
2: Exactly, they need to do that. I, I think they responded with a tweet just full of ads of Spencer Dinwiddie. was so <laughs> good. Every time I clip Spencer now, I'm making sure I add him.
1: Absolutely, we got to keep adding the guy because if anyone, he could, he's in the conversation right now. Like, there's so many. Um, really improved performances across the board, like from Chris Tabbs to Jalen Brown. But Spencer Dinwiddie and dealer, for that matter, before he was injured, before he was injured um, are certainly in the compensation for the most improved player because Spencer Dinwiddie had a nice end to the season for us last year, but his game has just gone to levels. Yeah,
2: you make a great point. Even with the guys playing so well, like they all were already starters or good players, what he's going from being a backup point guard that was in the G League at the beginning yep. of last season to being possibly an above-average starter. Obviously, he still needs to do it over time, but you look at his per-36 numbers, I think it's something around 16 points, eight assists, low turnover rate, shooting good percentages from the field. Like we said, three-point shot is improving. Defensively, you can't really have many complaints because he puts a lot of effort in. He's long, 6'6". I mean, Dinwiddie is just an amazing find. I tweeted this out yesterday. It's just a great find for the, by the Nets front office. Somebody that everybody was sleeping on, they get him, and he just looks like I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star type player, but he looks like a stud. He looks like somebody that could be an above average starter in this league if he continues to improve. He's only 24. Yeah, he looks like he's got a long
1: future ahead of him. And you mentioned um, those turnovers, Nick. Another um, Nets PR Twitter tweet that came out was, um, his assist to turnover ratio is second in the league behind Andre Iguodala. So good company. That zero turnovers is just um, emblematic, and it's just symptomatic of just how good and the, the rhythm that he gets our, our team in, like there's times where we, D-Lo, and this isn't a knock on him by any stretch because he's still, he's three, he's younger than Spencer. And Spencer obviously has a bit of history with our team, um, some experience. But d sometimes can force it a little bit and sort of look like he, he's going a bit too fast and trying to increase that pace a bit too much, where Spencer knows when to slow it down. And he can see him calling plays out there. It's like he knows what Kenny wants. And he's the floor general. It's almost like there are elements of CP3 to him, the way he was sort of running the floor. Um, He doesn't, you know, have the ball in his hands as much as a a D'Lo or a Chris Paul um, in the past. But the way that he was navigating and getting other players involved was just, um, it was beautiful to watch.
2: Exactly, and with the lack of ball handlers on this team, if you really look at them, obviously, like we have a Karis LaVert and a Isaiah Whitehead, a Sean Kilpatrick. Whitehead and Kilpatrick haven't been playing well. So Dinwiddie's probably going to see a huge boost in numbers. I mean, we always talk about no one really playing above 30 minutes a game. I think they might be forced to do that with Dinwiddie, especially he's a young guy. And Whitehead, like I pointed out in the past, I wasn't very impressed with his performance yesterday. Um, He was a minus seven, four turnovers. He was getting outplayed by Neto, who's not a very good point guard. So he didn't really make me very confident. Lavert, though, on the other hand, he's definitely shown some improvements, especially you know, carrying off that uh, Boston game. He didn't shoot great yesterday, but the energy was there. He had a he had a nice dunk in transition. So, Lavert, I think, is going to be a guy that kind of needs to step up as well.
1: Yeah, and I think it could be good for him. The fact that um, the balance we we talk about the balance uh, and the compo- and like the sort of cohesion with this Nets roster, Lavert and Dinwiddie together playing a few minutes, and then Levert running the squad, as you mentioned, Nick, running those second units um, and having shooters around him opens up the space for him as well. A guy like a Joe Harris, um, who has been absolutely outstanding. Um, And just a little side note, you know who could use Joe Harris right now, Nick? The Cleveland Cavaliers, his former (laughs) team. They could. Like Like, they could. He's exactly what they need. And the fact that we've got him on such a bargain basement contract 15 points on limited minutes on, on regular occasions. And um, Alan Crab, you know, you mentioned on your uh, Twitter, you had some nice tweets throughout the game. Off Thank the you, dribble, uh, always, my friend. Um, off the dribble, he's looked really nice. Like, he's not settling anymore, it seems. Um, whereas, I think, 15 games of the season now, he seems more comfortable to make the right play. Um, and there was a couple of t- times where he just got into the paint like easily um you know he's he's a decent athlete an amazing three-point shooter but the fact that if he can use that uh, ability to get to the rim it's just going to open up that three-point shot even more and spread the floor for his teammates as well i just you know one of our best shooting nights of the season 45 almost 46 percent from three and you know, over fifty-one percent from the field. Uh, it, I mean, yes, the the Jazz were without their two best defensive players, but you know, Joe Ingle is still a decent player. Donovan Mitchell has all the talent in the world, and you know, the Jazz, this type of Jazz, this type of Nets team, they were all sort of on the same market. You know, when you're looking at talent levels, we don't have anyone outstanding. So it was a nice win, and, and just a really, really co- encouraging performance.
2: Yeah, and like you said about Crab, I thought that was impressive. He seemed like he wanted to be more aggressive. He kind of knows who D'Angelo out. He needs to step up. He needs to handle the ball a little bit more. I think that's one thing they want to see. Put the ball on the floor a little bit more. Get to the rim. We're not asking you to do a ton. You don't need to be a playmaker. But, you know, if they're, you know, over committing on that three-point ball, like we pointed out in the past, take it to the rim a few times. You know, you have long arms. Your teardrop seems Okay. Uh, keep working on that and that could really be a nice asset and like you said Joe Harris the ability to have Joe Harris and Alan Crabb on the floor at the same time provides a lot of problems for defenses those both of those guys I'm not going to be surprised if they shoot over 40 percent at the end of the season the Nets put out a lineup yesterday in that game they had Dinwiddie, Harris, Crabb, Carroll and AC. you know if that's not spacing I don't know what is that's a ton of three-point shooters and it's just so hard to defend and when you have guys out like out there like that, you know, the paint's not really protected because you're not getting much help. No,
1: and what I think we should do now, I reckon we start, the Brooklyn Buzz starts a campaign to get Joe Harrison to the three-point shooting contest. I reckon we've got to get him there. He's been absolutely lights out. I mean, we could have Alan Crabb there as well. But just to get our boy Joe some recognition, he, he deserves it. And the spacing that it creates, it also leads to really open passing lanes as well. Yep. We had 17 assists, the most we've had in the season. I mentioned we won the assist battle um, against Boston as well. All but two of our players had an assist, um, Quincy Acey and Kilpatrick, who only played two minutes. Um, So it, it just showed that, you know, the team effort and the motion offense that Coach Kenny, he would have been absolutely ecstatic with the performance.
2: Yeah, 27 assists. And you know what I thought yesterday? Sometimes in the past, the Nets were like so committed to getting it to one player on their read. Yesterday I think they were a little bit more patient. You know, the first guy wasn't there. They hit somebody else. They moved the ball a different direction and they kind of adapted a little bit. And it was really good to watch. And it was nice to see the ball move and the player move. And I think that's obviously the most important thing, like you said, with Atkinson's system for these guys to constantly be moving, especially with the three point shooters for it to be effective. But any other positive or negatives you want to point out? I know one thing for me, Moscow played zero minutes. I thought that was nice. Definitely no, can Mo- see that impact.
1: No, Moskov, no worries. Yeah, Trevor Booker, I mean, he loves playing against his former Utah Jazz team. And, I mean, there'll be times where his body and his presence will be needed. But, like, you know, Jared Allen didn't play either. And I'd much rather see some minutes for Jared Allen. And just a quick side note as well, um, we talk about the turnovers. We won the turnover battle in though. Um, we were outscored quite heavily, twenty-two to nine. So, uh, just a little statistical uh, point. I just wanted to chuck in there.
2: Yeah, let's get to the bad news, though. Obviously, we hinted at it a few times in this podcast. Yesterday, Sean Marks breaks the news: D'Angelo Russell had knee surgery. Nothing crazy, just a quick cleanup. But anytime you have a you know your franchise player getting surgery, it's a little little bit worrisome. What were your initial thoughts when you saw this? We just chatted like literally five minutes before the news broke.
1: Yeah, it, was, it came as a bit of a shock, um, and I think a lot of people were shocked by the news, um, the players, um, some of the coaches. Um, but one, Nets Daily on their Twitter account seemed absolutely furious um, with the communication. Like, they seemed to be in, in the camp that they thought that Sean Marks and possibly the front office knew that they were going to go down this route, and the fact that they were communicating in such ways with the fans was um th- they were disrespect being very disrespectful I'm not sure I I, I mean I, I can see that in a sense but um I, I think is after the jazz game and after the, the some of the other games coach Atkinson was still like you know wh- wh- was sort of assessing seeing how it goes day to day so I'm not sure I think they might have gone a little bit too far but those were the I'm pretty sure the guys from um uh, the glue guys were probably on the the Twitter account for that one, but you know it, it's just sad news. But it was nice to see him him um, post a nice little Instagram shot of him watching the boys. It's just you know the bromance, the relationships that um, are, are really being formed between a lot of our guys. And you know look at like Damari Carroll, you know Spencer Dinwiddie, Caris. All, all it's just you know the Brooklyn the Brooklyn love is real.
2: Yeah, I, I mean I'm not too upset about it. The way Sean Marks made it seem is that they were kind of evaluating him. His recovery, you know, was the recovery working? And it looked like it wasn't working. So they went with surgery. And being 21, I'm okay with them taking a the precautious route. We know we're not going to make the playoffs. We already lost Jeremy Lin for the season. Like, obviously, it sucks and you want to see him get minutes, but you want to make sure he's healthy. And there's a good chance he'll be back this year. It's not like he's out for the season, he's out indefinitely. You know, the knee surgery he had is not anything crazy. So I wouldn't yep. be surprised to see him. I think we'll see him in 2018
1: yeah and i think that's the positive like you know it's we need to look at it as a glass half full thing because you know this might uh lead to uh, an absolutely outstanding season um if last night anything needed to go by for spencer dinwiddie and you know it can increase the the play of guys like joe harris um, and, and and others. So it's it's negatives because, you know, we've lost literally, you take the two best, you take Steph Curry and Sean Livingston off the Golden State Warriors, even they're going to struggle. Like, you know, as much as Kevin Durant and Draymond and, and Clay can do so many things, you lose your two floor generals, it's, it's tough. So it's still hovering around at, at six and nine, you know, funnily enough, the same record as uh, the Jazz now and above a team like the Charlotte Hornets who lost to the Bulls. It shows that, you know, where we're making strides and despite the the injuries which are which are setbacks um, and unfortunate setbacks the team has a bright future and, it, and it's good to see.
2: Yeah, exactly and like you said, you know it's a glass half full because obviously it's going to hurt D'Angelo's development. He's not going to get all the minutes he needs, but guys like Dinwiddie, guys like LeVert are going to have the ball in their hands more and it's going to let you know more about them and their skill set and what they can do. It's going to allow them to get better. You mentioned guys like Crab, Harris, you know, some of these guys and one of the young guards is probably going to have to step up. I mean, Kilpatrick's not that young, but him or Whitehead, one of them has to step up. You know, they yeah. need they need someone to play another guard spot. And that leads me to my next question. Do you think they should look for another backup point guard while D'Angelo's out? They can apply for the injury exception with the Jeremy Lin injury.
1: Yeah, the disabled player exception. I think, um, I think it's essential that we really go after one, Nick, because it's going to be interesting because you know a lot of people are saying that we're crying out for uh, some sort of big presence um but you know i don't i think in the age of today's nba the more guards you can have the more floor generals you can have the better so like there's guys on the scrap people like samaj christian um trey burke there's there's all these sort of guys that can fill in um for a little bit and you know they might provide a presence i think it might be worth taking a punt on on a young guy like that rather than say going down uh um, uh, the unfathomable route of going down and picking up Darren Williams again because uh, praise be, he's not on an NBA roster. So uh, I think it'd be remiss uh, of Sean Marks to not go after because I think uh, he did mention following um, D'Angelo's injury. We have until January to do so. Um, so hopefully that is the case and hopefully we've got a roster spot. What do you think? Do you think that we go a guard? Do you think we go a big? Because like you know, people are saying Jared Sullinger at uh, the early points of the season he's
2: apparently been balling out in China so um, which way do you think we go Uh, I definitely wouldn't go for Jared Solinger. I just hate his fit like he doesn't really help the Nets in terms of pick and roll defense obviously offensively he adds a little bit of pop and he maybe helps rebounding wise but defensively he doesn't really do it for me so I wouldn't go with him but I wouldn't mind getting um, a solid backup point guard I don't need it to be anybody amazing I just want somebody that can come in and run the show help the young guys get in good position, hit the shooters, hit Harris, put LaVert in good position. You know, don't put too much pressure on the guys. Like I've said this before on a lot of podcasts, I believe you do need some veterans to help young guys get better. You can't just throw them out there and expect them everything to work, especially at the point guard position. And like I've said before, Whitehead's not really doing it as a point guard. I mean, he's had some good play as just a basketball player out there, but as a point guard perspective, I haven't really liked what I've seen. So I would like to see a solid you know, facilitator get picked up doesn't have to be anybody huge, but just somebody who can come in. They don't even have to play him. Just hypothetically, though, if Dinwiddie gets in foul trouble, which he has in the past, what are we going to do? Play Isaiah Whitehead 30 minutes? Like, no thank you. Yep. I'll throw some names at you because I, I looked through my phone. I actually had some in my notes. I did some
1: research last night on um, Real GM at, at some guys who, who were free at the point guard and shooting guard spot. So there's Monte Ellis, Archie Goodwin, Leandro Barbosa, Trey Burke, Isaiah Cannon, Samaj Christian. Ty Lawson, do you think any of those guys, do any of those names
2: scream out to you at all? Not really. I mean, I, I like, wouldn't mind Ty Lawson if he didn't have the off-the-court issues. If his attitude yeah. is correct, I don't know. The Nets are pretty good at gauging that, so maybe they'd give him a call just to see what's up. He's the only guy that could probably get things going, but the um, Nets tend to, like, bigger point guards, too, and he doesn't really fit that role. Yep. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a G League guy. You know, I think yeah, Dallas has already picked up an, another G League player. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets go that route. It would, you know, I think a month from now is last year. This is when the Nets like picked up Dinwiddie or Yogi Ferrell. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go and grab a point guard out of the G League.
1: And our scouting um, has always been quite good. So you know, you look at Yogi Ferrell and Spencer Dinwiddie. So it's worth taking a fly on one of those guys because the upside, there's no real downside, and the upside is plentiful.
2: Exactly, and I mean. And it just helps the team and it helps the morale. You don't want to lose a lot. And the Nets are doing a pretty good job staying 500. This upcoming stretch, though, is going to be pretty treacherous. Um, they have Golden State on Sunday, Cleveland on Wednesday, Portland on Friday, and Memphis on Sunday, and Houston on Monday. Yeah, that's um... – there's that's five impact. playoff teams maybe they get lucky because memphis is without mike conley so they're not great portland have they could probably beat portland again and you know all things go right but portland's a pretty good team and they're probably going to want revenge after losing at home
1: absolutely um and, and memphis without mike conley now could be vulnerable but you know we struggle against bigs and marcus soul is one of those elite bigs um who does everything definitely so um a tough stretch especially without delo but with Spencer Dinwiddie running the show and, and Coach Kenny, hopefully um, adjusting, you know, a- accordingly to to who we have, um, there could be a night where you know the Cavs are flat, and it could be a night where the the Grizzlies or the Blazers are flat. Um, maybe Houston finally doesn't shoot Lee absolutely fire from three, and um, we can actually punish them. I don't know. I I, I can't see it happening very often, but. Um, I'd be ecstatic with two wins out of that but I'd be happy with one
2: yeah I mean it's going to be a tough stretch and they're going to have to grid out some wins get lucky from three-point range after that it's not so bad they have Dallas Atlanta Atlanta so they can get some wins after that but they're going to have to try to grit out one of these wins one thing I'd like to see defensively a little bit more is I'd like to see the Nets attack a little bit more defensively you know they're a team that's not full of great defenders so they have to kind of make up for it with their effort and energy. And I think at times when they attack, you know, specific players, you know, double teams or they attack the pick and roll a little bit more and they end up rotating and they kind of play the statistics and force a guy who's not necessarily a good three-point shooter with a hard contest, it seems like that is working a little bit more when they just kind of play straight up and they don't help much. It seems like when they help more and they attack the offense a little bit more, Things are working out. It's not 100% guaranteed, but when you're not a great defensive team, it's just an idea you can throw out there sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I think with like lineups like last night where we um, didn't have Mosvill play any minutes, it's certainly going to help. And, like, ronde wasn't amazingly offensively last night, but he was still um, one of our better defenders. And, you know, if Damari Carroll continues to be the force that he has been, I just really like the leadership that him and Booker have, and hopefully that both of them can stay relatively healthy throughout the season because... I think they provide just so much defensively and, and on-court leadership, which I think helps with that defense.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't mind giving one of them a rest over the next five games. Yeah. You know, with this tough stretch, you know, maybe rest a Carroll who's been playing a good amount. They've been monitoring his minutes, though, but a Booker, too, who's been a little banged up already. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Booker's ankle's a problem. Yesterday he sprained that yeah. in the Jazz game. And, you know, you when you sprain your ankle sometimes, it feels fine then you wake up the next day and it feels like straight garbage. So that could be that yeah. situation too.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out for that Golden State game because um, he'd probably get absolutely destroyed by guys like KD and Draymond on the on, on transition. So we'll wait and see. But, you know, it doesn't really – hopefully – and then that could maybe give some minutes to someone like a Jared Allen. But hopefully not Mozgov.
2: Yeah, hopefully Jared Allen, not Mozgov. It's, uh, Atkinson said, you know, it's going to be um, – a matchup type thing for the starting center position. So who knows yeah. what's going to go on with that? We might not see Mozgov for a long time, and I would not be complaining. It's not like he doesn't do anything well, but he does a lot of things bad.
1: In fact, if he actually does match up with anyone, maybe Zaza Pachulia is probably one of the only starting centers. Him and like a, a Costa Cufos, um are probably like two of the only guys who he could, you know, who are sort of those lumbering sort of dudes out there on the floor. So he could maybe see you know, maybe 15 minutes, um, depending on how long Zaza plays as well.
2: Yeah. But the problem with that is it's not worrying about guarding Zaza. It's about all those picks with Steph and Clay and KD. Yeah. And my brain seeing that right now, it just makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Has it happened yet?
1: Nick? Has it happened yet?
2: It hasn't happened yet. But if, you know, as long as Kenny keeps Moscow on the bench, my emotional state should be fine. <laughs> But uh, that wraps it up for today. As always, you can listen to the Brooklyn Buzz podcast on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTG Basketball, YouTube. Let us know what you think. You can tweet us at OTG Basketball. Jack, as always, thank you for hopping on and thank everybody for listening.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping.